Hey guys, Jamie here. So we're right in the midst of summer, and if you're anything like us, that means you're on the move. Christine is out paddleboarding every day, Heidi is being the yoga goddess that she is, Megan's running miles around New Jersey, and I just spent two weeks moving and building furniture here in my new home in Pennsylvania. So suffice it to say, we're sore. For aches and pains, Team Off The Gram uses Arnicare, which is a natural, over-the-counter, topical pain relief gel made from mountain daisies. The gel not only relieves muscle pain and stiffness, but it also relieves swelling from injuries and discoloration from bruises. So whether you're working out, doing home improvement projects or yard work, or even just sitting too long at a computer, Arnicare gel is essential for self-care. Visit arnicare.com and use the code off the gram at checkout for 20% off through August 31st. okay, we can't get our risk back down to zero. COVID is here. We cannot truly eradicate the risk of COVID, but we can do the smart things, kind of like protective layer stacking to mitigate our risk, minimize it, and then be able to optimize what we go out and do. Welcome back to Off The Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Yay! Hi, guys! guys. Welcome! (laughs) So today we want to welcome Dr. Daria. She's a Yale-trained emergency room physician and mom of two from Atlanta, Georgia, who earned an MBA from Harvard before joining the faculty of Harvard Medical School to teach medicine. She's also the best-selling author of Mom Hacks, and her TED Talk, How to Triage Your Life Like an ER Doctor, had over a million views in a month. She contributes regularly as an on-air expert to CNN, Headline News, NBC, Dr. Oz, and Thrive Global, to name a few. We're beyond excited to have this top doc here today to talk safety. As cities move toward reopening, how can we all start to live our best lives again, and maybe go back to work, but still manage the risks? Hi, Dr. Daria. Welcome. Hey, welcome. Hi. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. So at the top of every episode, we do like a little weekly catch up and we, you know, get together, put our brains together and sort of talk about what we want to talk about. And this week, since we're interviewing you and we're so excited, I thought we might talk a little bit about um, doctors that are like researchers and doctors that are public facing and why they rarely intersect. You seem to be like the beautiful perfect mix of that intersection of like an amazing doctor who's willing to speak to the public. And I can just say this topic is near and dear to my heart because one of my very best friends, she's a cousin of mine who I grew up with. We went to school together, all the things she has. I'm not going to use her name because she doesn't do media, um, but she's, you know, she released actually out of Harvard, um, the single largest nutrition study ever released in the world a couple of years ago. Um, she's doing another one for COVID and so, and she's she terrified. doesn't want any. She's, yeah, she's terrified of being public facing because she's like, well, my academic colleagues will never take me seriously again, and all my career will be over. And and I'm like, really? Is that really because because I feel this is Heidi speaking that um that 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 information has to get to the public, and I think it's so important. I think it's a vital part of being a doctor and knowing the things is actually communicating what you know to the public, right? Dr. Daria, do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah. So Heidi, for one, it sounds like you come from amazing genes, if that's in your gene pool, if you're a cousin. Um, but you know, I'm a huge fan of people doing what they do best. And there are people who are very brilliant researchers. And Heidi, we need them in the lab. We need them running studies. We need them finding the truth because right now, especially with COVID, everybody is so confused. And then there are those who are comfortable taking that message and sharing it to the media. So if she wants to focus on academia, that's right. I let her, we need her doing those things and using her brain cells that way. And then for me to be on media, one thing I've learned that I'm sure y'all have learned, you have to have a really thick skin and you have to say, how can I take this? How can I figure out what's going to confuse people and really address their questions ahead of time and share it to them and then ignore the negative comments and then take the good comments and the questions and help me redirect the information I give people. Okay, this is Christine. Um, I've been I've been loving your Instagram. I just love putting a face to a name and you just it becomes so personable. And I think that's great because sometimes people find doctors, you know, scary and they can't approach them. But I love how you're just a person and you're so, I don't know, approachable. Um, I love waiting to see your stories and your, um, lives and your Instagram, you know, uh, videos. And it's just, it's nice to have that. And it kind of, I don't know, it puts it in perspective for me to, I understand it better when I see it coming from you on Instagram for some reason, maybe it's just me, but I think it just makes it easier for people to kind of process everything. Now, Dr. Daria, yeah, I just, so this is Megan. I discovered you during COVID, but was, so have you sort of been thrust into the limelight by virtue of a pandemic or was this something you were already starting to get comfortable and dabble with? Yeah, I've been doing media actually since in a bit here and there. And then really over the last a couple of years, a lot with CNN and the, the Dr. Oz show and Hallmark and Lifetime and my book in the past couple of years, I've been doing more and more of it. Um, it really started when I'd had my own patient journey and also with the bird flu epidemic. And with the bird flu epidemic, I saw so many of my patients and they were scared because if you listen to the headlines, it was all about, you know, stay tuned for the 10 PM for the death toll from the bird flu. And everybody was really scared. And that's when I realized there needs to be a different message in the media. And I didn't have a plan to go do television. That was never in my goal. Um, Aside from like maybe when I was six, I want to be Punky Brewster. But other than that, <laughs> didn't have, a, you know, hadn't thought about it for about 20 years. And I, but, it was this pain point. And I realized people need this. I had zero training in television, but I thought people need mm. this. Let my patients say that I'm able to communicate to them in a way that they can understand and feel better about it. Let me try. And so I started doing local news and local news ned- led to doing the Dr. Oz show and a lot of national television. And it just picked up. And so that's where all this came from, because I see, especially having my own patient journey as well, and people were so confused and they were scared. And I thought I can share this with them the same way people would expect to get it if they're, I'm their best friend and they can just call me up on the phone. I'm going to share with you the information in the same way I would do that to distill the information and make your life healthier, better and easier. I'm obsessed with your autoimmune journey because Heidi and I both have, I'm celiac. I have some autoimmune complications and you had um, arthritis by virtue on an autoimmune response arthritis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it was super weird. I had never had any health problems, I've always been super healthy all my life. And then I was in the middle of residency and my intern year and got to this point, I was waking up and my joints were swollen. And I went from running every day to being unable to walk. I couldn't hold a pen to write about my patients. I couldn't stand up to see my patients. And so we went through a number of doctor's appointments and ended up getting some second opinions. And sorry, you got a kid in the room. I love it. 
It was like, mommy, mommy, mommy. You have two uh, kids. How old are they? They're three and six. And oh, do y'all, have y'all seen Sing, the movie Sing? Oh, yeah. Many, yeah. many times. Yeah. You know how my kids are obsessed with that Elton John video song of like, I'm still standing. And yesterday I was doing an interview. And after the interview, I hear my three-year-old I'm like, he's not napping. And I, I go, I'm outside his room and he's singing that song. He's up, he's singing, oh. I'm still wakey. And he's just singing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, so, um, anyway, oh, that's my life. Geez. So, uh, <laughs> to pick, to pick back up, I'll just try to kind of pick back up on the autoimmune story. So I, I got to the point that I couldn't go for a run. I couldn't hold my pen. I couldn't stand up to see my patients. I went to see a number of doctors. They didn't know why, but they realized I had some sort of autoimmune arthritis and they diagnosed me with psoriatic arthritis. I was put on an injection medication and giving myself injections twice a week. I was the world's biggest baby. You know, want to find a baby, ask a doctor. Like, I don't, I'm not afraid of blood, but giving myself a shot, you would have thought I was going to die. Um, but the reality is I was told this is the way your life is going to be. You're going to need to be on these medications the rest of your life. This disease is going to destroy your joints. And aside from taking this medication, there's nothing really else you can do about it. And I didn't like that. So I started to dive in and see what I could do and ended up really changing a lot of things in my lifestyle and actually getting my arthritis very much under control. So we have to come back and do an entire episode on autoimmune disease. Like promise us you'll come back because I am absolutely dying to do an episode on Mm -hmm. on autoimmune disease. Today's topic, and we should dive into this, and it's really that... The early days of COVID were hard, but the path to flattening the curve was so clear. You just stay home. So we hunkered down. We remained in our bubbles. We quarantined our mail and wiped down our groceries. But now as things start to loosen up and we begin to process, you know, reentry, staying healthy really isn't so straightforward. So today we really are eager for your expert take on how to safely navigate this new normal and return to our lives in some sense. Yeah, I think all that's the COVID so, questions, <laughs> all the COVID questions, like so there, solve COVID, fix it, um, uh, fix it. I love what you do with the three D's. I mean, that like sums it up perfectly and dumbs it down for everybody. Like, just like, just put it out there. I'll let you say them, but I, I thought yeah. that's great. I see that all over your Insta and on, on your interviews. Excellent. Excellent. That's good. Um, so I want to, and I want to get to the three, the D's, yeah. but I first like, just like overarching, um, if you watch the news, you watch all the conversations, I feel like as a nation, we have become so polarized. And there are those who are like, this disease is absolutely nothing. It's a whole bunch of nothing sauce. We need to not worry about it. Everybody in the water, the water's fine. Bring great grandma too. Let's go. And then there's these others who are panicking and like, we got to lock down everything. You know, this is the end of the world. I need people in the middle because there is a lot of sensibility in the middle where it says, okay, we can't get our risk back down to zero. COVID is here. We cannot truly eradicate the risk of COVID, but we can do the smart things, kind of like protective layer stacking to mitigate our risk, minimize it, and then be able to optimize what we go out and do. So I just wanted to say that because it seems so such madness that we just can't have that really sane, normal conversation. I feel like everybody's trying to ping pong back, ping pong back and forth from each other. So that's just a mindset thing. And then what are those things that we know we can do? So Again, this is 
exposure to any toxin, this is not the first time we've been exposed to it. We deal with it in the hospital. People deal with it in radiation exposure who work with radiation and we're smart about it. So there are, there are two different systems of D's, but um, the D's that I use, there's the four D's. There's density, which is so knowing when you go out, how dense is it indoor? Is it outdoor? Are there a ton of people or are there very few people? Distance. Can you keep at least six feet from people? Of course, the virus doesn't stop exactly at six feet, but if you can do that, you're going to minimize it. Duration. Are you just talking to someone for five minutes or a quick pass by? That's super low risk versus you're sitting in a space with somebody for six hours and degree of activity, which is, are you sitting quietly or is somebody singing, shouting or exercising because you're doing some big mass Zumba? Those are the four D's and you can think about them and you can think, well, if all four D's are low, then that's a low risk activity. I can do it. Or you can think, well, this D is high risk. Well, let me figure out how I can mitigate that risk now that I know exactly what I'm trying to do. And then the fifth thing to do is mask. Wear a mask. If you do those things, not a single one of them is 100%, but they all layer on top of each other and they will hugely minimize our risk and let us get back to our lives. See, the problem I think with the masks is, and this is Megan with the raspy boys coming at you, um, is that in the early days, it was like, nope, won't help, no big deal. So there's so many people that I know that are just hanging on to that and like, nope, it's not good. Nope, doesn't help. And then if they are wearing it, they're wearing it under their nose and telling me they have asthma and they can't breathe. So they have to wear it under their nose. So like, can you walk us through the whole mask then and now mm-hmm. dilemma? Yeah. Yes. And I think um, this is, uh, I think the WHO or no, the UN had referred to this as the pandemic of misinformation, because thanks to social media and thanks in part to changing headlines and changing news, because we're learning more. There are there's so much in terms of uh, headlines that you will find. And they're totally contradictory. Part of the problem is early on, we didn't know exactly how this disease spread. And I think in part, the WHO was afraid that people would just rush out and use uh, N95 masks and we didn't have enough healthcare. So the CDC and WHO said, don't use masks. Well, what we've learned since then, and we've learned that wearing a mask, even if it's a cloth mask, can significantly reduce your risk of infection. That's maybe somewhere about, you know, 15 to 25% decrease your as an individual rate of infection and also significantly more reduce your risk of spreading it to others. So now we know, but yeah, it's really hard to overcome that initial inertia um, uh, of it. But I think, you know, I think we as scientists, and I think this is why it's hard to be a physician in the media because you do have to be humble because you do have to say the message in the beginning was when we were learning. Kind of like when you talk to your kids and you as a parent say, okay, well, I said that but now I need to change it. Mommy didn't realize something before. So we need to come back. There's a new plan here. And the new plan is about the value of masks. And again, it's not 100%, but it significantly reduces your risk. And if we just did that, then we could go back to a lot of things. And people say, I don't want to wear a mask. Would you rather lock down? I'd much, much rather wear a mask if I'm worried about comfort or inconvenience. Mask is a lot easier than lockdowns and more pleasures. How should it fit? How should you be wearing it? What should it be made of? Like, what are the mask basics? Yeah. So I actually just did a video yesterday that I posted last night on on my Instagram because I've seen all these ways of people wearing masks and they're like (laughs) under their nose or they're up here. Like, no, it it should not be above your eyes, around your eyes. So you want your mask to be above your nose and then below your chin. If it has a metal clip, those are better. You really want to make it fit. 
And that's for two reasons. One, it'll keep it on top of your nose and from falling down below your nose. And it also make it less likely to fog up your glasses if you're wearing glasses. That is um, my biggest new problem. Foggy glasses. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So things for you can do, you can either put a little bit of Kleenex, fold it underneath the top. Or put a band-aid That's if here I want to look bit. hot, Dr. Daria. If I want to look really hot, I put the <laughs> tissue on the nose. <laughs> Megan, you look hot no matter what. You just tell them not to even worry. Uh, and th- But then, or just a little bit of... One thing I used to do in residency in the OR was put a teeny bit of paper tape. Just be careful. You don't want to hurt your skin. Mm-hmm. But if you're really bothered by the fogging up. And then also wash your glasses with soap. That should decrease the fogging. You know what's so funny? I went to buy coffee filters this morning and they said that they haven't had them in stock in three weeks because people are apparently using coffee filters as masks. Is that an effective technique? Um, I don't know that I've seen any data on the use of coffee filters themselves. Um, it's an additional layer. So usually they say two layers of cloth should be good. If you can put in a coffee filter and it doesn't make it more difficult for you to breathe and you're doing it in between those two layers of cloth, I would say, great, it's probably going to add more filtration. But if it makes it more uncomfortable, then I would say it's more important that you be able to keep on the mask appropriately than say, how many different layers of filtration do I have? Um, we, so Governor Murphy here in New Jersey now is coming out and saying that they may do state mandates that you have to wear a mask everywhere at all times, outdoors and indoors. Do you see us needing to make that move? Is it going to be crucial to then wear a mask if you're jogging, walking the dog in any kind of public scenario? So if you're outdoors in a crowded scenario, remember the first D is density. So outdoors in general itself is safer than being indoors. So that's one check for outdoors, but then is it super crowded? Are there a ton of people around you? Are you in like a busy street in Manhattan? Then you probably want to wear a mask. Are you just out walking the dog on a trail or a road or that doesn't have people? Then no, you don't need to be wearing a mask in that case because you're just passing by people for 15 seconds at a time. I have two questions to that um, as well. I'm in New Jersey for right now. I'm originally um, I'm in New York, but we're close to the ocean, to the beach, and it is as if masks are, they just don't exist here and it's it's super scary but I, I i think people have the mindset where they are at the ocean it's a fresh breeze it's you know they don't think they're going to catch it or i don't know what i don't know what the mindset is but i have yet to see a person on the beach with a mask so if i do want to go to the beach or if i want to go for a run um i've been wearing or bringing mine if i take it off though like if i'm running i can't really wear it for the whole run without feeling like i'm kind of doing an opposite effect there. Like I'm not breathing properly and I'm, it's almost like it doesn't feel as healthy. Do you find it, am I supposed to keep it on for the whole run or, and, or at the beach, if we're on a blanket with our friends and family and, you know, we're kind of surrounded by other blankets, maybe they're about five to six feet away, but it's super crowded. So what should we do? I mean, should we just not go or should I not go for the run anymore? It just, it seems like over the last month, it has been insane with the amount of people, um, crowding and not wearing masks and it's it's scary yeah i hate that and i hate that they had to close beaches in different places over the july 4th Mm -hmm. holiday just because there were so many people so okay so going for your run i would say again if you can go for a run and it's fairly non-crowded and you're just kind of you know passing by people here or there Mm -hmm. i would say you don't really need the mask go without it if you are wearing the mask people it is harder to run when you're wearing a mask and you think about it elite athletes will wear masks for the purpose of increasing their conditioning Mm. so inherently it's actually harder good thing is when you do take off the mask and start running again it's going to be a whole (laughs) lot easier because your body's going to be you know ready for it but so it does make the run 
harder. So you may say, I'm going to, I'm going to wear, maybe you wear the mask, just getting out through the crowded area, take it off. Then the challenge is what are you going to do with the mask while you're running with it? But again, common sense, if you can keep a good distance from people, you're only passing people by for five or 10 seconds or so. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't worry about the mask that much. Or I have um, my shirt, like I kind of pull yeah. my shirt up. Pull your shirt up, something like that. That's fine, just to get through a crowded area. Um, but again, that's different from if you're just like walking through a subway or on a busy yeah. street. Beach is different. So in an ideal world, we'd be able to say there's a certain number of people at the beach. And you need everybody needs to keep, you know, at least 6 to 12 feet apart. And if you can do that, then you don't need a mask. But again, you get down to that density. If everybody's packed in there like sardines, I hate telling people to wear a mask at the beach, but... It, it's probably the safer thing, but really the better thing is just to make it less crowded. What's safer, pool or beach, beach or pool? Oh, it just comes down to the numbers of people there. I mean, the pool, if you're in the water, COVID doesn't survive very well in water and chlorinated water even more so. That chlorine is going to kill the, uh, the water. Uh, no, the chlorine is going to kill, not the water, going to kill COVID. <laughs> so, you know, I'm taking my kids to our um, local pool, but what they do is reservation. So they only have 15 yep. families at a time. You only get to go for two hours. So we're never at all. We're in the pool the whole time. We're never within 12 feet of anybody. So that's really one of the safer situations. If you go to the beach, go run around, play in the water away from people, spend less time just kind of sitting on the beach in that time. So that's where the duration comes in. Go for a shorter period of time. It means you'll be exposed for less amount of time. And it's a good good citizen thing to do because it frees up the space for somebody else to come in and enjoy it themselves. Hi, I'm Jamie from Off the Gram. Launching a podcast is a lot of work. Luckily, Gotham Podcast Studio has everything you need to get started. Whether you just need an hour of recording time or a jumpstart with full-service production, Gotham Podcast Studio offers high-quality audio and video recording, reduced membership rates, podcast hosting services, and much more. All from their studio located in the heart of Manhattan. Visit GothamPodcastStudio.com for more information. Now, back to the show. So what exactly does the mask do? Like, is it just if somebody was like, so right when COVID was like starting before stay at home happened, like early March in New York City, um, but we were already like aware of it, but it wasn't like what it is yet. Right. Um, I was walking on the West Side Highway and somebody like turned and literally sneezed into my face. And I was like, like it was so, but so my question about the mask is like, is that what it would prevent or are there actual airborne particles? Like what exactly does the mask do? So this is good because you may have heard that like 239 scientists wrote a letter to the WHO about how this is aerosol. So, and I've been asked about this a lot on, on CNN and on TV. Just to put people's fears at ease, the virus did not mutate. There's not a difference here that has changed how it is transmitted. It is just that these scientists are looking back and saying, hey, there were these situations like these super spreader events where one person clearly did not sneeze on all these different people, yet all these people who were there at the event got sick. And they say, well, it's possible that it also has aerosol spread. And what they were also saying is viruses just like people, I mean, y'all have children, you know, none of them follow the textbook. We may say a three-year-old should be exactly this height and this milestone. None of them actually do that. Mm-hmm. Viruses are the same way. Viruses don't say, I'm just droplet or I'm just aerosol. So coronavirus is largely via those bigger, wet, sneeze-on-you droplets. 
but it also can be at times little tiny aerosols. So that's the point. It's not as neat that we can just put it in a bucket. So again, this headline that from a scientist, it doesn't tell me to do anything differently. All along, I've been saying it can be droplet. It can also be aerosol. It can also be stuff that you touch. So we just got to be smart and protect for all of these things. And if we are smart, which is what these scientists are saying, We'll minimize our risk while we learn more about what it is. But so, surface contact is less scary. I'm not afraid of my nail or my groceries the, the way I was three months ago. Is that true? Mm-hmm. So it is surface contact is probably still it is possible to catch the infection from it. Um, but it's much less so than somebody sneezing in your face. So droplets, somebody sneezing on you and which, you know, falls after six feet, that's the biggest cause of spread. And so your cloth mask even is going to stop those. Your cloth mask will stop those big, wet, sneezy droplets. Um, that's the point. It won't stop necessarily the tiny, tiny aerosolized ones. But again, that's a smaller percentage. So those are the three ways droplet is the major form. That's why the cloth mask helps and is definitely better than that. So why did New York City open playgrounds again? It doesn't feel very safe to me. (laughs) So, but again, remember the first D is density and outdoors. And Mm -hmm. people need to get outside. People are staying inside. Y'all know, again, you're staying inside. You're miserable. Nobody's doing activity. Your children are going crazy because they are all stir crazy. And outdoors, it's likely, again, the virus is going to be more likely to spread outdoors. If somebody sneezes one little virus particle on you, it's not going to give you COVID. It has to be enough of virus particles that you, for you to get sick. The dose matters. That's fascinating. I don't think a lot of people know that. Oh yeah. So we just, I wrote an article that was in medium um, and it was about the dose matters. So Again, we're not looking at zero COVID anymore. And Megan, you said this at the beginning. The lockdown was easy. We said, I want zero COVID exposure. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's more gray. But so I'm saying, let's look at the dose. Let's minimize the dose. So outdoors, again, if somebody sneezes, as long as they don't sneeze in your face, um, it's likely going to be dispersed. And hopefully nobody's sneezing at a playground. Anyways, they wouldn't be going to the playground. So outdoors is good. You get your fresh air, you get your vitamin D, you get your exercise, you're more sane, you're happy, your kids are better, everybody's happy. So playgrounds, again, it's like playgrounds and pools and hikes and walks. We need to go outside as much as possible for so many health benefits. So playgrounds, what I'm telling people, I say, go in the morning. It's probably safe because it's going to be less likely to be crowded. And that playground hasn't been touched in about 12 hours. And then pay attention to how crowded it is. If it's not super crowded, great. Um, if it is super crowded, go with the plan ahead. Bring some other things that your kids can play with. Say if it's super crowded, you can say, let's go over here to the side. I brought a ball or I brought some bubbles. And we'll go over here because the slide's really packed. And then you can enjoy it. They can have fun. And then leave after an hour or two. Remember duration. After an hour or two, go home, have lunch. It opens up the playground for somebody else and further minimizes your exposure. Should we be washing our hands as vigilantly as we had? And should we be dousing our kids with hand sanitizer? Is that still a concern? Is hand-to-face contact still an issue? It still is. Again, it's not as bad as as droplet, but it is someone sneezing on you. But yes, it is. So I say, when you can, wash your hands. It's always better soap and water and just really get a really good lather. But if they're out someplace and you really can't have access to it, then a hand sanitizer is okay. And especially younger kids who can't keep their hands off of their face, just do a hand sanitizer. And then when you get home, wash it all off. Just wash it in soap and water. Does it have to be antibacterial soap? And like, and can you use like an all-natural hand sanitizer? Or does it really have to be like Purell and antibacterial soap? 
So this is something I focus on a lot because we want to be healthy, but we don't want to like, we want to fill our body with as little chemicals as possible. So it's finding that happy balance. (laughs) So I always like, if you look at my own home, I have antibacterial soap in two places. One is the bathroom, like right when you walk in the garage from the garage mm-hmm. where to wash your hands after you've been at school because COVID or not, they come home with all sorts of germs coming from school. So wash your hands there. And then right at my sink, because at your sink, you have like raw meat, raw fit, you know, all sorts of uh, things. So I want antibacterial there. Kit, yes. Sorry. Kitchen. Sink. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but all the other sinks in my house, it's not antibacterial for that reason. We don't always need antibacterial. It has other effects that we don't necessarily need. So you really want to be cognizant about it for your hand sanitizer. Yeah. It needs to be, um, something that is antibacterial, you know, 60 to 70% alcohol to be able to be effective. So there you don't go na- you don't go all natural for your hand sanitizer or like your sink at your kitchen or wherever people are washing their hands that first time coming in the house, the rest of the time do, do whatever works for you. What is the, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've been hearing that um, there's a new dominant strain of like SARS and COV2 type of form that's even more infectious in a different form. Is that just hearsay or what is that? No. I just heard that the so, other day. Yeah. So SARS-CoV-2 is COVID. Same thing. Okay. Um, it's just, just kind of confusing. There's, there's SARS, which was the virus about 10 years ago. There's MERS and then there's SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID. There've been a lot of discussions about are there different strains? Like maybe there's a strain that came from Asia. There's a strain that came from Italy. How do they affect us? How do they affect us clinically? And does one maybe affect children more? I still think there's a lot of data to be seen and there's not much to tell. Like for an individual, I don't think individuals need to worry too much about it because there's not much you can do about it at this point. We'll just learn and keep seeing what happens with it and get more data. I have a quick, so I want to know, would you or would you not? Oh, here comes my dog. Would you get your nails done right now? Not getting my nails done. Yeah. Okay. So not comfortable in a salon. <laughs> I did. I got my nails done. Oh, you did for your new cover. They took my temperature. Like I wore a mask the whole time, which was challenging because then I realized I wanted a nice coffee, which I could not drink. <laughs> um, but so then I did get my nails done. And is that so that's a high risk activity. It's just one of those where I say, what's the risk versus benefit? There are some things that the benefit is so high that they're risky and they're risky. Like, you know, getting our kids back to school, the benefit is really high. Let's figure out how to mitigate their risk. There's some like getting my nails done, which I'm like, eh, can I spare that? It's some risk. Is it worth the risk? Probably not. So, would you, get, so you wouldn't get your hair done either. You're not going to the salon. So actually, I was going to say that my, my hair, don't look at my hair. It's been like so many weeks since I got my hair cut. Um, I am going to next week, but it's, it's a stylist. Literally, the stylist is the only person in the, in his studio. And so you wait in your car, then you go in and you're the only client. It's just you and the stylist and you both wear masks the whole time. Uh, so it's, I got uh, my hair colored dress. outside. At my in my colorist's backyard. Oh, I saw that. I saw. And, like, and I felt like she wore a mask. I wore a mask. We were outside. Mm-hmm. I couldn't handle my hair anymore. I won't get a cut yet, but I was like, make that me blonde. Like a, Please make me blonde. That's the outside just doing that. I think that's great. Yeah. And I think my stylist won't be using a hair dryer either. So I can have to go with hair. Know, so hair dryers hair. are dangerous. The blowouts are pro like have been yeah. prohibited at the salons that have reopened. Yeah. And why is that? Again, because it could probably just spread the germs. Does it also maybe disperse the germs? Yes, probably. Uh, but I think it just makes it unpredictable. Um, I do circle back to haircut. school. 
Oh, I know. That's so cool. And I heard somebody say something about school or like an awe there. Well, because you said you had mentioned like the risk or the reward of school, you know, might outweigh the risk. And as someone with three very young children, I would love to hear your thoughts on schools coming back in September. (laughs) Yes. And so first of all, I think this is setting our mindsets and goals. I've heard some people and I think it's very clear. It's not me saying we should go back to school regardless of risk. Again, everybody get in the water, go for it. It's more that we say, we got to set our goal. Like, you know how Babe Ruth used to say, I'm going to hit the ball there. We say, that's our goal is getting our kids back to school. And then we need to work backwards. And I'm working with a couple of schools on this to work backwards. Say, what do we need to strip away? How can we mitigate what risks exist? And those that we can't mitigate, let's eliminate those activities. We just focus on getting our kids at a minimum back to school for their academics. A lot of people are scared about the subways because like teachers, if the kids don't have to take public transportation, the teachers do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because they're they don't live in their district all the time. So what Mm -hmm. do you think about public transportation, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think that's really hard. And that's why I think there's not a one size fits all for, you know, what will work for Atlanta won't work for Manhattan, won't work for campus for instance. So you have to really plan. I think they'll also have to look at who are our healthy teachers, because I think there needs to be also schools need to offer a hybrid. You know, So some teachers and some students can and will need to come into school in person. Some will likely need to do distance virtual learning. So can we take those teachers who are the medically vulnerable who are too, who should maybe not be going in the subway, have them do the virtual learning from their home for the students who need that at home. That way, our healthy teachers are the ones going and going to school and however they can. I know the CDC said no public transportation. But I thought, well, but how is that? possible in cities like Manhattan. So again, those teachers need to have to mask up gloves. I would say outerwear, wear an outer layer on the subway that you can take off when you get to school as well. And I heard something interesting too, um, a few of our friends that have older children and those seem to be that age range where they're kind of not that concerned about the spread and they just want to do what they want to do. Teenagers don't care. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I've been hearing that um, a lot of the college kids are actually going, they might, some, some schools might send them back, but not have them come back and forth for breaks at all and just stay until I guess it's maybe Thanksgiving or something and Mm -hmm. then just have them come home all through the winter. And, you know, it's like, so instead of breaking it up with lots of little trips and visits and breaks in between keeping them there from September through whatever that date might be, whether it's, Mm -hmm. Christmas or um, Thanksgiving, and then that could help the spread. Because I think I, I've been seeing a lot of that 20-something-year-old or, you know, late teens and tw- early 20s. Um, but uh, is it, it's true that they're still catching the virus. It's just maybe maybe they're spreading it more than really feeling the effects of the virus. Right. But um, yeah. I, just, I, just, I just hate that everybody said those things up front where like, you know, this certain age doesn't catch it. This, you know, this, this age group doesn't have to be worried. These, you know, the masks are only preventing the other people. It's just, if they could have limited what they told us, I feel like it would have been, if everybody was just so concerned about themselves and everybody else, we'd all be so in such a better place right now, I think. Yeah, I know. And that's what I was saying earlier about like the ping ponging back and forth. And and the truth is for people who are under 40, the vast majority of them, people who are healthy will, if they get coronavirus, they will be okay. Um, we're seeing sporadic cases. I mean, as we saw with Nick Cordero, COVID. So he was 41. Yes. That was my question because he was 41. So I was like, is there something magic about 40? Cause you just Mm -hmm. said people under 40. 
No, there's not. A, it's it, the virus doesn't really care the exact number on your birth certificate. It's more your your age, but uh, your your body's you know wellness. Well, I act body like age. I'm 20, so hopefully <laughs> there you go. Almost COVID's gonna five, see you. COVID gets me. Okay, well, there was that 22 year old. Also, I heard that that's what freaked me out. Who needed a lung transplant? She was a healthy 22 year old, no pre existing conditions. I don't, I don't. I heard it on CNN. I think so. I you know I don't know her name or anything, but I know. I had that in the back of my head because every time someone tells me not to worry, I'm like, well, what about, you know, right. Nick Cordero and this 22 year old? And I have all my people that I want to, so, you know, show them examples of. And that's the thing is we have to, like one of the things we teach, we learn in medicine is anchoring bias. Mm-hmm. You have one person who was 37, who had this wrong and really awful outcome. And you judge for the next 50 years, every 37 year old against that one, that mm-hmm. one case. And you can't do that. Because even though those cases are, those cases are tragic and in our brains, they just emotionally make us light up. But for decisions going forward, you can't base it off of just one. So we were, we need to remember Nick Cordero and these other people because we do need to remember that this virus, this mm-hmm. virus is, is not forgiving at all. But then we need to take that further and say for the vast majority of people who are he- otherwise healthy, they will be okay. So that's why you, you need to respect the virus because when you stop respecting it, it's going to kill you or somebody you love. Mm-hmm. But you need to not be panicked by this virus. You need to say, okay, so what do I do? And I think this is really important. Like this discussion you're talking about, this quiet, this different discussion, but we as a country need to redefine what we call healthy. Mm-hmm. And I saw a report the other day and it said totally healthy um, teenager dies from COVID. And so then you go, you die, uh, you read in further. Um, and it was a teenager who was morbidly obese, had diabetes, had uh, uh, they actually gave the child's blood sugar level. And it was if I had seen this person as a patient of mine, it would have been the second sickest diabetic I've ever seen. Wow. So that's not healthy. And I don't think that, so when we define, when people say, well, this is totally healthy, I think that scares people. I think it panics people. And I think it doesn't help anybody who has those medical conditions because I want people with those medical conditions to realize that they, they know they can change it because your mask is going to help you from COVID in the short term. But getting your diabetes under control is going to reduce your risk of severe COVID complications by four times. And that's over the rest of your life. We need to start talking about that. Now, we're closer to a vaccine. I keep hearing now reports like it's going to be September, maybe October, like the fall is going to be so promising. Is that a load of crap? Can you just make me feel better for a second? (laughs) Um, I really wish I could make you feel better about it when it comes to a vaccine. But I think a vaccine will be great. I don't think we can hang on our hat on when it will be here. And I don't think that the first vaccine that comes out will be one that we give to everybody either. I imagine we'll give it to the highest risk people. That's why, again, we just need to do these things to lower our risk as a nation. And that's the most important thing that we can be doing in the short term. And then doing the smart things like masking and distance, things like that as well. Because I don't, I don't know when, when the mass, when the vaccine will be. Maybe January. That's probably the earliest. I, I wish the testing be. would get out. Like, so my son's getting his mm. tonsils out. At the end of the month, he just has to have mouth. He can barely swallow. It's been put off since April. And he has to get the COVID test beforehand. And he is six years old, more nervous about getting this thing, getting the swipe because everybody keeps saying, oh, yeah, they probe your brain with a Q-tip. You're going to hate it. And so he asked me today for wish beads so that he could make a wish that it wouldn't hurt and he would be safe. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I wish I could tell you the test wasn't. A, a swab of your brain, right. but it does feel pretty scary, right? Well, so I think 
Megan, you just brought up an amazing point, and that is that we as we as parents can really imprint on our children and their perspectives about it. So like for the testing, your six-year-old, I have a six-year-old, same idea. What I would probably say to my six-year-old is it's not going to be comfortable. You've endured worse. You've had a strep throat test. Um, you've had your blood sugar checked because every kid's had that. We had to stick your finger. You've had shots. You've done these things. And you know that they, are, they hurt for a second and then they pass. So I would say that to them and like truly validate his fear though. First, like do that. You're not trying to minimize his fear. You're just reminding him that he's gone through this before. Um, and then you can say, you know, I'll get one too. You know, say that you as a mom, like maybe both of you can get a test together. I know you don't. Um, have, have them do you like one of those fake magical Q-tips that like actually collapses when it gets in that your is, nose. So what is it doing? Like, what is it swabbing? How big is the Q-tip? Just prepare it's me. It's not that big and it's not that bad. And it's, it's one of those things. I think it's gotten a, it's gotten a bad rap. Sure. Like, would you want to do it on a Friday night for fun? <laughs> no. But I've also had a lot of patients be like, you know, I was so scared about it. And it actually wasn't that bad. It lasts for about 10 seconds. You is know, any- anybody who's birthed a child, a birth and a child is worse than getting a COVID uh-huh. swab. I'll tell you is, that. Is it any different than the, the flu swab? Like the regular flu? Because The flu start- swab is just is usually a little bit more, more superficial. So this is a little bit different. But again, again, I think this is... I, I see the same thing about parents with masks and I see some parents who are, their kids are super, super anxious about the mask. I was talking to one of my girlfriends the other day and she said, I just realized I've been so anxious about COVID and masks and I've totally caused my sons Aww. to be that way. And she's like, that's me. That's on me. And so we were talking about that because your perspectives of it will really dip your, your kids watch you. And so, you know, is it just something that you're like, totally matter of fact your kids watch you are you totally matter of fact we just got to wear a mask it's the new norm it's i know it's annoying but um it's this new thing we do and look at these cool masks that i got for you for me and my family my husband and i wear masks for hours on a daily basis so it's nothing new for us and so my kids the other day are i had two masks one broke and they were fighting over who was going to get to wear the mask so it really comes down to i think but i think it's his parents we can just say, we're going to start wearing these masks. I know they're annoying, um, but this is something we have to do right now to, to keep ourselves safe. And it's just the norm. You know, kids can smell fear. Like toddlers can smell fear when you're trying to put them down for a sleep routine. They know. Don't let them see it. We also, we, um, so my twins turned five last week and I have a two-year-old. And when he was 10 months, he had like a massive surgery for hip dysplasia because his oh. pediatrician missed it. Um, and so to sort of get our twins involved, we had gotten them pink and purple scrubs and they came with a mask. So all kids love dress up, right? Mm-hmm. So I think my kids like, we're like, Oh, we get to play dress up with these masks that are, oh, sorry, mm-hmm. their colors, the twins define themselves by their colors, pink and purple. Like they say like, <laughs> I am pink. I am purple. So, so I it was it. like, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever makes them feel good. Um, <laughs> if it's not harmful. So, so I think also like feathering in for parents who are very anxious about the mask dress up, like you're a doctor. Maybe you get the doc McStuffins like doctor kit or like something to help them sort of associate the masks with play. Mm-hmm. I yep. think that's also like a great way to get them it normalized a little bit more. Yes, exactly. And, you know, a mask, like get them a Batman mask, whatever it is that makes it seem fun. And again, just if you have anxiety about it, just, you know, keep that, check that anxiety about the mask. Keep that internal. Don't let your kids see it because to them, they don't have any judgments about masks right now. Mm -hmm. They're a blank slate. So come to them saying this is something new. 
something new, I got you. If my son, if I got a dinosaur on it or a dump truck on it, I could get him to wear a mask over his eyeballs probably. (laughs) So, you know, so so use those things the same ways we get our kids to eat vegetables. It's it's all about mind games is what I'm saying. Well, Dr. Dari, you have been absolutely amazing. Um, What we do now, unless there's anything we missed or you want to add, we usually go into a lightning round that Christine's going to take you through. Are you ready for these tough questions? <laughs> oh, yeah. only if they're tough. Okay. Super deep. Yeah. First one. What's your favorite workout? Running. Am I supposed to give one word or can I give that was great. one word? You can elaborate. Um, it is, I need to do it for my sanity. I'm a better person and a nicer person when I go for my run with my playlist. Um, so totally agree. And next question, morning or evening run. So I am not a morning workout person oh, naturally. Me too. I hate working out in the morning, but I have forced, I've made uh, myself become one. Um, I used all like the mom hacks from my book to become one because in the morning before my kids woke up was the only time I could get it in. So now mm-hmm. I actually love it. I get up and I run my three miles in the morning and I'm not as fast as I would mm-hmm. be in the afternoon, but I'm cool with it. It's probably nice to get it over with because I'm I'm like you and I have not trained myself to do the morning yet. So I'm always doing a sunset run um, and it just like ends my day nicely. But mm-hmm. I keep saying to myself, especially now that it's summer and everyone has, you know, we just want to be outside more. Well, not really. I guess there's nowhere to go, but <laughs> I go just outside. Yes. dinner time and things like that. It interferes with that second part of the day. So mm-hmm. and finally, yeah. coffee, tea or matcha. Coffee. Mm-hmm. I don't understand people who drink tea. You know, those people, they're like, I'll just do a tea. I'm like, I don't get you. Give me the strongest coffee you have, please. Tea reminds me of when I was, um, when I had a sore throat or whenever I'm sick, tea always, <laughs> you know, soothes me. So when I think, when I drink tea, I'm always, I'm thinking like, well, you know, I feel fine. I don't need tea today. <laughs> I feel like every single doctor has answered coffee. I, I think that <laughs> we can like go funny. back to episodes because, you know, we need it. Okay. And our very last thing, Megan. Karmacall. <laughs> so Megan just says it awesome because she's awesome. Um, but I explain that Karmacall, so I'm a yogi, it's Heidi, and um, karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our incredible, amazing guests, what is one actionable item, something small and easy that our listeners could do that would yield a huge impact? So it could be like drinking water every morning first thing, something, you know, very easy and small and doable, but huge results. Okay. Um, I would think right now, because so many of us are so stressed out right now, I would think learning to take our own emotional temperature. And when, because I think if 10 is when you're going to lose it, eight, a lot of us are living it around an eight, eight right now. And I would say when you get to that moment that you're about a nine and you're about to have that meltdown, just disengage, go do something on your own for five minutes, whether it's a walk, whether it's take your shoes off and walk barefoot in the grass. If you can take a bath, go for a run, go punch your pillows, give yourself that grace to disengage. Stop trying to power through it and be superhuman. We all need that right now. Love I that. love that so I'm gonna much. Go take my shoes off and walk in the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> do you great advice, power down, decompress, do all the things. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thanks for spending time with us and enlightening us and giving us all these amazing tips and sharing your knowledge. And like Megan said at the beginning, we really would love to have you back for autoimmune autoimmune, episode. Um, So hopefully we will be talking to you again soon. And now we're supposed to tell people to like and subscribe and follow off the gram on the gram at (laughs) offthegrampodcast.com. Don't forget to leave us a review. Yeah, give us some five stars. (laughs) What up, what up? Yeah. (laughs) 
and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Thank you, Dr. Daria. Thank Bye. you.